Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Look Mum No Hands, and thank you all for coming this evening. This is the first The Power of Cycling event in support of Wheels for Wellbeing. I expected a bit more of a cheer than that. This is the first The Power of Cycling event in support of Wheels for Wellbeing. Thank you very much. My name's Chris. I am one of the trustees for the charity. And just to tell you a little bit about what Wheels do... So Wheels for Wellbeing's mission is to enhance disabled people's lives by ensuring anyone can access the physical, emotional and practical benefits of cycling. And you, by being here tonight, are helping us to do that. So thank you very much. And this evening is all about the huge impact that cycling can make. So we've got some people here, some very special guests who are going to tell you what cycling means to them and how it is such a powerful thing to change lives. So I'm going to take this moment to introduce one of our other trustees, Nikki, if you'd like to come forward, who's going to introduce our first very special guest. Good evening, everybody. What can I tell you about our first guest? She has been on the Russell Howard Show. She has been um, at the Royal Albert Hall. She's even been on this morning, but today she's win. Look, Mum, no hands. Please give a very warm welcome to Jess Tom. Good afternoon, welcome to Legoland. Okay, it's not Legoland. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you guys have got this. Fuck a go. Um, biscuit, hello, I'm Jess. I, Beans, I'm a fantastic frog spawn impersonator. An amazing lizard child. And I'm the 14th in line to the phone. <laughs> I don't know whether that was in line to the phone or in line to the throne, but who knows? Uh, biscuit with Tourette's is anyone's guess, and I do have uh, Tourette's syndrome, which is a neurological condition. Biscuit, the biscuit that m- means that I make involuntary movements and noises called Sebastian, <laughs> called ticks and <laughs> sausage. Biscuit, but don't worry, I don't bite. Biscuit, actually, I do bite a bit. Biscuit, like an overexcited mosquito. Fuck a go. Hedgehog, biscuit. Good afternoon. Welcome to a Legoland. Yeah, that seems to be a recurring theme. Hedgehog, sausage, um, biscuit. Um, I'm going to describe myself briefly for anyone who might find this useful. I'm a 19th century whale. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and describe myself. Biscuit, um, I'm a 30-something white woman of average build. A biscuit with short, curly brown hair and a very cool lawnmower. <laughs> a very cool wheelchair. Ta-da! I love cats. 
things you need to know straight away. I love cats. That's not one of them. Biscuit, I don't love cats or hate cats. I hate cats, fucking cats. (laughs) I don't hate cats. I love cats or love them. I am indifferent to cats. I do love a fucking cat. (laughs) Indifferent to cats. Three things. Fuck a go. Not that one either. (laughs) Biscuit, I have a very good relationship with animals. Well, this is not relevant. <laughs> Which is not a surprise because I am neurologically incapable of staying on message. Um, so a lot of what I'm about to say will be a surprise to everyone, including me. Ta-da! On the plus side, though, it does mean I only have to write half a set. Biscuit. <laughs> and awkward silences aren't something I worry about either. Ta-da! Fucking no. Um, you're going to hear the words biscuit and hedgehog. Biscuit a lot in the next few minutes. And, and, and Theresa May's donkey... I mean, Theresa May's donkey might come up. Sausage. Biscuit. Um, biscuit, that's more often than you'll hear Theresa May say Brexit means Brexit. But less often than you'll hear tabloid newspapers calling disabled people scroungers. Um, so you're in safe hands. Biscuit. My safe hands. Ta-da! Biscuit. I know how to drive a car backwards into a lamppost. Fucking lamppost. I'm also really easily distracted by lampposts. <laughs> There's quite a long list of things that I'm easily distracted by. Ta-da! Toblerone. Tortoise porn. Uh, Biscuit ambidextrous hamsters. Beans. Biscuit. That's totally never come up before. (laughs) So I said. Lamppost tab. Lampposts live off the state. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Biscuit. I I I love (laughs) po-po. Ta-da! Sausage dogs eat their own young. Um, Biscuit. (laughs) If you're trying to make sense of this, it's probably best you stop now. <laughs> Beans. Dude, we haven't even got through the three things. <laughs> biscuit. Um, biscuit. Um, it's probably worth saying this is a relaxed performance, so if you want to tick, shout, or move about, you're more than welcome. Biscuit. You can even heckle if you like. Um, biscuit, but remember, my ticks will always have the last laugh. Biscuit. Whether I like it or not. Fuck a sheep. <laughs> The heckler I'm most worried about is me. Get off the stage, bitch! <laughs> biscuit, hedgehog. Um, biscuit, but don't worry, um, just relax. Sausage. Um, several times a day, hand dryer. Uh, I'm being upstaged by a hand dryer <laughs> and a donkey. Um, yeah, donkeys in Legoland. Who would have known that was going to be the thing tonight? Sausage. Um, biscuit, so several times a day my tics intensify and I completely lose control of my body and speech, um, which looks seizure-like and needs similar management. Don't worry if that happens. Biscuit, Isabel, we'll do a striptease. <laughs> Have you got that planned? <laughs> and, with, with biscuit involving a penguin and a, and, and a killer whale. Um, that might happen, but it also might not. <laughs> uh, sausage, but don't worry, it's, uh, biscuit, it, biscuit, um, beans. My support worker will come and help me. Fuck a goat. Um, <laughs> they won't help me do that. They'll, they'll come and help me, and then the, the tick was fuck a goat. Sausage. <laughs> Ta-da. Clarity. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an active communication wizard. Um, sausage dog. So, Biscuit, while I'm, I'm, I'm quite new... Biscuit, you've probably got this already, but you're absolutely allowed to laugh. You're doing really well at that, which is a relief. Um, <laughs> uh, Biscuit, while I'm quite new to stand-up, Biscuit, I actually got my first review seven years ago, and it was in Time Out London, Biscuit, and was for my performance as an audience member. Biscuit, <laughs> the reviewer 
was the comedian. Now, I might be new to stand-up, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it's supposed to work. Biscuit, Biscuit, why are we all worry about being singled out at a comedy night? That anxiety usually passes when we stumble home at the end of the night. But no, don't relax. Your ability to sit and watch comedy, Biscuit, might be publicly critiqued by me. Your, your friends and family might get to read my thoughts. And you're sitting, sausage, or Biscuit, but Biscuit, sausage dog, Biscuit, the, the reviewer, Biscuit, the comedian. <laughs> very confused. The comedian also asked something that I hear a lot. Like, why don't you shout about lovely things? Biscuit, my main ticks, Biscuit, at the time were Lego and penis. Now, personally, I think they're both pretty lovely and a biscuit in their own way. Like, maybe not together, though. Biscuit, imagine building a blowjob out of Lego bricks. <laughs> the cum would have very sharp corners. <laughs> Lego, Lego cum. Biscuit, for, for, for 40% less likely to impregnate you than a wolf. That's not something I have any statistical evidence for. Biscuit, sausage. Biscuit, people often say it must be great having Tourette's because you can get away with swearing whenever you like. They clearly haven't met my dad. Biscuit, he listens unflinchingly. Biscuit, to the most obscene ticks. But he can always tell, Biscuit, if something is involuntary or not. I tick, grow your own sustainable cunt. He says, he says nothing. Biscuit. I describe something as being a bit shit, and he tells me to mind my language. Biscuit, biscuit, I love words. Biscuit, deliberate or not, they're my power. Biscuit, they're the sign that I'm alive. They're my companions. Biscuit, they won't get me into trouble in airport. Bomb. Biscuit, <laughs> that and the crack cocaine in my pants. <laughs> biscuit, Hedgehog, biscuit, in a time of Trump, Brexit, and Boris Johnson's ego. <laughs> It's more important than ever that we use words to bring people together, to inspire change, and to to put wheels on elephants. And that's what tonight's fundraiser is about. (laughs) Biscuit, I've been involved with Wheels for Wellbeing, both personally and professionally, for for many years. Biscuit, um, I've rearranged my whole working week so I can cycle on the Monday. Ta-da! Sausage dogs! Um, Biscuit, um, it's the only way that I feel I can stay healthy and strong and feel like I have uh, uh, control over my own well-being. Biscuit, um, but but don't worry, my PA always does the steering. (laughs) Sausage, I was absolutely shocked when Wheels for Wellbeing suggested going on a ride on the actual roads. (laughs) Biscuit, um, that's not not something anybody's allowed me to do for years. Sausage, biscuit. Um, So I really want you to support Wheels for Wellbeing in any way you can. It's an amazing organisation doing really important work. Cycling, mobility, it changes lives and it gives people access to their communities as well as to health and well-being. So please, Biscuit, biscuit if, this, if this set has one take-home message, it's don't put a donkey in the corner. <laughs> it's also make sure you support Wheels for Wellbeing. Thank you, thank you very much. And I- <laughs> Now we have to follow that. <laughs> There's no chance. <laughs> it was if I wasn't nervous enough before. Jess, thank you very much for that. That was uh, absolutely hysterical. I don't know if anyone knew what they were going to be in for. And still don't... 
But as Jess said, Jess is a cyclist with Wheels for Wellbeing, and Wheels continue to make cycling accessible to many people who traditionally cycling excludes. And tonight we're going to hear a bit more about that, and we're going to hear some great things about how cycling has impacted on other people's lives. So I'm uh, going to introduce two more special guests for us to have a, a bit of a conversation with. Uh, there'll be a few questions and then a chance for you guys to ask some questions as well. So first of all, I'm going to introduce someone with a pretty impressive competitive cycling CV. First place in the CVR World Cup Finals in Paris. A winner of the National Circuit Championships. And a two-time winner of the Brompton World Championships. Let me introduce Rachel Elliott. Thank you very much. And a gentleman who's commentated and presented on pretty much every major cycling event, including the London Olympics, the Rio Olympics and Paralympics. And he's also the founder of the commentary PR and production company CycleVox and women, women's cycling hub Vox Women. Mr. Anthony McCrossan. Evening. Thank you both for joining us this evening and supporting Wheels for Wellbeing. So we've just had a little intro and starting off with you, Rachel, just to go on a little bit more on those achievements in your uh, time in cycling. Could you tell us a little bit more about some really memorable highlights that cycling has for you? As you said, I'm... I'm, um probably best known for being world Brompton champion and I think I could probably win the biggest cycling race in the world I could win the Tour de France but all anyone ever wants to hear about is um, me just wearing a very tight fitting suit and racing around on half a baby stroller um, around (laughs) Blenheim Palace Um, but I think that's probably one of my most memorable races but um, yeah I started cycling in about 2011 um, and pretty soon got into time training. I came from a running background, and time training is quite a, a natural discipline to get into. It's just you against the clock. Um, I sort of struggled for a few years. I was about as aero as a brick, and then I realised <laughs> aerodynamics play quite an important role, and with my slightly geeky nature, I managed to make myself aerodynamic. So I had a very good year in about 2017 I won the national circuit championship I I broke the national 30 mile record Uh, I think that was an hour and 34 seconds Um, the course was slightly long so it actually was 30 miles an hour average so um, that annoyed me Um, so um, but um, my life's changed quite a lot so I think I'll probably talk about that a bit later I had a I had a stroke pretty much a year ago to the day Um, so my cycling priorities have changed Um, I'm still cycling and I love cycling probably even more than I did before I had my stroke now Um, but I'm getting into new challenges such as tandem riding e-racing and and those kinds of things so we'll talk more about that later I think brilliant thank you Rachel (laughs) and Anthony how about yourself Uh, some memorable highlights from your career in cycling Um, yeah I'd like to commentate on the World Brompton Championships actually (laughs) (laughs) Because I think that's about the only race I haven't commentated on. And um, when we're on the Tour de France, Ned Bolting and David Miller always have Bromptons, and they tend to ride around the compound. Um, So I think that could be quite good. We should get them. Get them to do the World Brompton Champs, 
um, and then commentate on that. that I think oh, I'm that'd sure be great. they'd have you if you offered. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's try and organise that. So Emma. let's talk to the World Brompton Championships and get that organised. Um, it's really, in terms of cycling, what highlights from commentary? Well, any any, any moment, commentary, presenting, cycling yourself. I think uh, the pinnacle for me in the last few years is London Olympics. Um, I went full-time as a commentator. I had a proper job for quite a while. And uh, I remember I was working for a recruitment company, actually, um, for a long time. And the CEO took us to a presentation in London, which was done by Seb Coe. And he outlined about how the Olympics were going to come to London and how they'd won it. And the CEO took us there for motivation and inspiration. And uh, I decided that I wasn't going to work for them anymore. (laughs) And I wanted to work on the London Olympics. And if I fast forward, what was five years, I think, something like that, I introduced Seb Coe opening the London Velodrome as the first Olympic venue. And I remember sitting with him, and it was a really surreal moment. And actually, I was walking to the station in the morning, and I don't know why, but I was in tears. I was actually crying walking down the road. And I, and I kind of realized that I went back that many years, and, and I'd, what I'd managed to do in a short space of time was a bit overwhelming. And I sat in the green room that morning with him, Boris Johnson, who Jess just <laughs> mentioned, <laughs> And uh, a few other people. Yeah, he's, he's an interesting character to introduce for certain. And um, a few other people. Chris Hoy was there. And I introduced them to open that velodrome. And for me, that was incredible that you could change your life that much in a short space of time through a sport that I loved from being a kid, riding a bike and racing a bike and eventually opening a velodrome and then commentating on the London Olympics. And it's funny because Emma's here, um, because Emma looks after Lizzie, and fundamentally I remember being the speaker of the London Olympics on that day when Lizzie won her medal. And now and then I can, I can still visualise the pouring rain and her coming round the corner on the mall with, with Mariana Voss and trying to commentate on what was going to be the first British medal. And I still get goosebumps because it's an incredible moment to go back to. Um, So for me, London Olympics was kind of that moment when I went, wow, this is really happening. Bit of a shift from cycling commentary to cycling commentary from recruitment. You don't don't miss the recruitment days? No, I don't miss that at all. (laughs) You get decent commission? Yeah, yeah, it was all right at the time, yeah. (laughs) But but I don't really have a job now, do I? You know, I just, I go around, I'm really lucky. I go around the world and I talk about bikes. You know, that's, and that's what I did when I was a kid, when I was 14 years old. Anyone who knows whether you are disabled and wanting to ride a bike or you are a kid who's 10 or whether you're a 60 year old person or whether you want to lose some weight that feeling of freedom when you're out on a bike is just something that I just I loved from the minute I started and now I'm just talking about it and going around the world talking about it and it's incredible it's fantastic to do brilliant thanks Anthony so uh, that's your how as well that you got into cycling Rachel, you said that you got into cycling or in terms of racing around 2011. Was there uh, something that kind of 
stimulated you to get into it? Well, I, as, as I say, I, I actually started as a runner. Um, I started running in about 2005. I was a typically overweight woman who liked McDonald's a bit too much for my sins. Um, and I spotted an advert for Race for Life. Um, and I thought, I, I'll, I'll try doing that. And I've always been a bit of an obsessive person. So I, I trained for that. I ran five kilometers on the treadmill three times a week as fast as I could. Um, and that was my training. And the, and the first time I actually ran outside was in this race for life. So um, I, I surprised myself. I actually did, did quite well in that race. And that inspired me to take, take it a bit more seriously. And I entered a 10K. I ran 10 kilometers as fast as I could three times a week on a treadmill. Um, and um, managed to... I, I entered a 10K in London and again did quite well. But um, I realised this training wasn't quite working, so I, I started to train a bit more seriously. And I actually, I got pretty good as a runner, um, but I was never quite good enough to be, you know, the very best. But, and for me, that wasn't quite enough. <laughs> um, so my lucky break was getting injured as a runner. Um, and um, thankfully for me, I didn't do what many people do and get into triathlon. I managed to um, escape that. Uh, so... Um, I, I discovered time trialling and I, I, I saw my local time trial and um, this was Newbury Road Club. I live in Newbury in Berkshire and it looked absolutely terrifying. There were these people being held up on a road and then pushed off in front of trucks and lorries and I thought there's absolutely no way am I insane enough to do something like that. Um, and I, I helped for a while in a club. I, I got into some timekeeping, but still I was too scared to do it. And then one day I thought, it was my birthday, I think. It was actually eight years ago. I thought, I'm going to try, try this time training thing. And I did it. And it, I actually did really well, comparatively. Um, took it a bit more seriously. Um, and um, ended up, you know, competing at a pretty high level. But um, I've, I've always enjoyed cycling. I actually... Um, pretty seriously got into cycling I think um, as a sort of method of transport it was at the time of the London attacks I was in the tube that was behind the one that was bombed at Edgware Road so I heard that bomb going off um, and that actually made me order a Brompton so um, I ordered a Brompton on that day and I, I, I didn't go on the tube again for around four or five years I just used to cycle everywhere in London and it was a real awakening for me it was Fantastic! I mean, to, to be able to cycle around London, see the sights, um, cycle through the parks every day. I get to work and people be grumbling about the tube and oh, we had delays on the tube today, bloody Jubilee line again. And I can, I've just had a great cycle. And it's like, oh, you smug bitch. Um, so, um, you know, you had to, to, to get rid of the, the, the comments about people saying, oh, you're, you're mad. Why do, you, why do you ever cycle in London? You know, you'll, you'll fall off, you'll, you'll, you'll injure yourself. And I, I cycled in London for probably 15 years um, and never re had really any incidents at all. And, and it's, it's such a great way to get about if you're safe, if you obey the rules, if you're assertive. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've kind of always kept up the, I hate to use the word utility cycling, but commuting and just cycling for pleasure alongside the racing. Um, and obviously now my racing's, as it was in the past, has taken a, a bit of a detour because I can't see properly. Um, but um, cycling's still a massive part of my life, and it will be until the day I'm not here anymore. 
It sounds like from uh, some of the bits that you said at the beginning, Rachel, from transitioning from running to cycling, that had you have gone for triathlon, you probably would have done all right at swimming as well. Well, <laughs> I, I, I did. I mean, I'm sure there's some results somewhere. I did have a go at a few triathlons, but um, I've got quite a lot of hair and it was really unmanageable <laughs> in the water and it used to just get really wet on the bike and I, I just used to get really cold. And... Um, triathlon wasn't really for me I, I, I think cycling as a pure sport it had it was the only way it was the only way <laughs> uh, so talking about competitions uh, it'd be really interesting to hear from yourselves there's obviously many cycling events throughout the year um, starting with you Anthony is there a particular event that you're looking forward to uh, this year the most um, there's two so I'm the speaker. Who's allowed? The, yeah, is that allowed? Yeah, that's allowed. Um, I'm the speaker of the Giro d'Italia, so for me, uh, that's the highlight of the year because you go to Italy, you travel around Italy, you're part of the Corsa Rosa, which is the uh, just paints Italy pink for the whole of May. Uh, it's an incredible race to be part of because. Uh, the fans are so passionate about bike racing in, in Italy. It's, um, and you're part of that show. So you're introducing the riders in the morning. You're telling the story of the race. And then for the last 40, 50K of a stage, you're, you know when you see that gantry across the road in the Giro, there's a little window. We're in that window on the gantry on the finish line. There's normally four of us crammed in there commentating on the race. Uh, and for me, that's an amazing part of the year. You have moments of last year where Chris Froome attacked with 83k to go and time-trialed his way across the mountains to win the stage of the Giro and take take the Malia Rosa away from Simon Yates. And then you have the next morning you have to interview Simon and deal with his emotions of losing the Giro and, and things like that. So that's that for me, that race just weaves a story over three weeks. And you never know how it's going to end until you get to the end. You know, in Rome, you finally know what's going to happen. So for me, I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also looking forward to Yorkshire because the World Championships are in Yorkshire. Uh, and I think that's going to be incredible. I don't think uh, the world of cycling knows what they've what they've let themselves in for. But I also don't think they realise how many people are going to be there. Um, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to be part of that. Uh, because I, I was the speaker of the Tour de France in Yorkshire when we did the tour. And I was alongside the famous commentator. He's the voice of... There's two voices of cycling in my eyes. Daniel Monjas, who did the Tour de France for so many editions, and Phil Liggett. Um, who are the two voices of cycling. And Daniel was alongside me in, the, in Yorkshire in the Tour de France. And think how many Tour de France's he's done. And we were commentating on the race, and there's that moment where Jens Vogt is going up a climb, and there, you can't see the road. You can just see fans. That's all you see. And him in the middle. And Daniel sat back and just went... He just couldn't believe it. He was totally had nothing to say. So I think... If when you see what the Tour de France did, I can't wait to see what Yorkshire's going to be like for the World Championships because I think it's going to be breathtaking. I think a lot of people will be following that or seeing if they can get there for tickets now based on the yeah. glowing recommendation <laughs> of Yorkshire. I've got a lot of people who want to be my PA for a week <laughs> already. <laughs> uh, it's going to be good. Yeah. And, and Rachel, is there uh, any particular event that you're maybe looking forward to 
I mean, how do I follow that? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a time trialer. I'm used to sort of going up and down dual carriageways with just truck drivers watching me, so hardly, hardly a great fan club. Um, I am getting back into time trialing this year on the back of a tandem. I've actually got my, my first time trial this Saturday. Um, so Good that's luck. going to be interesting. Um, hopefully I'll stay on it. I think that's a main aim. For me, it's just about enjoying it. I, I really want to enjoy racing far more than I did before, not take it seriously. Um, but I think um, the race I'm probably most looking forward to from a, a personal perspective is actually the... Um, British Cycling E-Racing Championships. Um, I don't know. How many people here use Zwift? Oh, dear. couple of hands. <laughs> <laughs> Not many. So, so for people who don't know Zwift, do, how many people know what Zwift is? Oh, good. So most That's people good. do. Um, so Zwift hosted the um, qualifiers for the British Cycling E-Racing Championships a few weeks ago. And the top 10 of those are qualifying for a live final at the end of March. I think it's the 28th of March in London. And I was very lucky to be able to qualify for that. Um, And for me, that's sort of opened up a a new way of racing. Um, I think there's been a lot of criticism about it. Um, I think people view e-racing as something that's taking something away from cycling on the roads. Um, and something I always say to people, I think when, well, when British Cycling announced results on Twitter, there was so, you could just read the comments and so many people were saying, you know, this is taking cycling off the roads. It's not, you, you can't feel the wind in your hair. Um, you know, what about steering? But for me, it's, it's, it's a new discipline in cycling. It's something like, you know, BMX riding. It's like track riding, downhill racing. Now we've got e-racing. It's not taking it away from it's from other aspects it's it's a completely new aspect of the sport and i'm really really looking forward to sort of showcasing this thing i I mean i really am this year going to be going there to make up the numbers um but there's some really powerful riders who've qualified for this final and some some pros didn't get through um so i think it's it's going to be a, a really fascinating sort of view into what cycling will look like in the future um, I know there's talk about e-racing in the Olympics as well. So um, I think it's really, really fascinating. And, and you've got the opportunity to open it up to thousands and millions of people. Um, there's a live series at the moment called the um, Kiss Super League on Zwift. And they've got pro racers racing. And that's broadcast to thousands and thousands of people each week. Um, and you've got pros who are actually racing live in rooms. And it's, it's really, really exciting. Um, and I think that's um, a really exciting new development for the sport this year and, and certainly very, very inclusive. I mean, I can't race on the road, but I can race on Zwift. And there's l- a many, many other disabled people who are turning to Zwift as an alternative training tool. Yeah, I think it's great. If you look at the World Tour, Tanya Erith is now part of Canyon Shram and so is Ella. Um, and they wouldn't have been discovered if it wasn't for Zwift, they wouldn't be in the World Tour. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's a wonderful pl- way to get people to get into the sport, whether you are um, wanting to just ride to get fit, or whether you can't go out on the road yeah. anymore, uh, or whether you just want to try something new. And it, it will be part of, maybe not the Olympic Games, but yeah. it is going to be a huge sport. Yeah, and I think as well, I mean, you see British Cycling, they go out to schools currently and they talent spot. But there's an awful lot of sport schools that they don't go out to. So the talent pool that they could potentially get through this sort of e-selection of riders, I think is immense. 
And also what I, I've seen as well, particularly amongst women, there's a lot of women who don't feel confident going onto the roads for very, very valid reasons. Um, but they've actually got into road cycling through starting on Zwift. So there's a lady in um, my online racing team called Kiss. Um, keep it simple, stupid. Um, and she... Um, she actually had never cycled outside before. She always cycled on Swift. She went to a, a conference in San Francisco and cycled in a Fondo for the first time ever. She'd never been on the roads. And it was that confidence she'd got through realising that she actually could cycle and she would be able to keep up with people. She got that purely in an online platform. Mm. Um, and it had given her the confidence to go out on the road. And there's countless other examples of that. And I think it's brilliant to, to see people getting into cycling in a, a very new way. Yeah, yeah. I think anything that's breaking down barriers and making cycling more inclusive in different ways, uh, fr- speaking from a wheels for well-being perspective, we can certainly get on board with, and that links back um, that kind of experience of getting the confidence through a different medium and then being able to go on the road links back to what Jess was saying before of her experiences with cycling with wheels as well. It's all about confidence, really. If you're not sure about it and you can develop it in another way, amazing. So I'm sure you've got many, many a story, but we're just going to do kind of, and we've heard some of them already, we're just going to do one more question from me and then uh, let you guys ask uh, a couple out there. So I'm going to let you pick. We, we discussed these questions before, so I'm going to let you pick whether it's a, a humorous story from your time in cycling, which I'm sure there are many, and we did say that it could be humorous uh, on someone else's behalf rather than your own. So you could embarrass someone who's not in the room. Or something unexpected, something that's happened through your journeys in cycling uh, that you didn't anticipate and had to uh, adapt to. I'll let you decide who wants to go first. <laughs> Are you still thinking? Rachel, right? so she might be thinking. We, we, yeah, okay. we didn't have much. Trying to think of the funniest I'll, story. I'll, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't have many funny stories. I'll, t- no. I'll tell one, but it's not. I mean, it wasn't funny at the time, but there's two, <laughs> two, two moments in commentating where. Um, I was about to go live commentating on the World Road Race Championships with commentating with Rachel Naylan, who's an Australian commentator or com- uh, rider. She'd never commentated before, so we were explaining how the setup works. And generally, you have two monitors, a system which gives you all your timing. You have a deck which have your microphones and everything plugged into. Generally, you've got your laptop and a few other things. And about 30 seconds before we commentated live, I collapsed the desk with all the monitors, everything, (laughs) completely. Like, literally everything went smash on the ground. (laughs) I sent you the bill afterwards. I really looked like I knew what I was doing. (laughs) And engineers ran around, and then somehow we got it together. That was good. And then the second one was about a year ago, doing the world, not world, world, one of the World Cup cyclocrosses. One of the runners came in, who looks after us now and then. Now and then we do get looked after. Um, Came running in with my lunch which he was really proud that he'd got and think you've made all your notes you've got everything ready you're about to start and we're in Belgium and what do they have in Belgium frites and mayonnaise so he came running in and as he ran in he tripped and he dropped frites and mayonnaise right across the desk across all my notes for the entire race and if you've tried to commentate with oily mayonnaise On notes for two World Cup cyclocross races, it's not a good experience. <laughs> no, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a tricky one. <laughs> um, Rach, 
Well, I was going to say, going back to oily mayonnaise, that one of our time trials has actually run from a, a very scenic lay-by on the A4, and there's, there's a chip van in there. And, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> and I remember one day, um, I'd come straight from work, and I was absolutely starving, and the only thing on offer was chips. So... Um, um, somebody else bought some chips and I had a few and I remember it was very disconcerting doing my time trial with my hand slipping off the bars due to the <laughs> grease from the chips. Um, I mean, I've had countless sort of funny little things happen while I'm racing. I, I think, I know when I first started cycling, I didn't even know how to blow my own tyres up. Um, and I think it was actually in this triathlon, somebody felt my tyres when I finished and they said, let me just see what PSI you're on and they put the pump on it and they're on 20. Um, <laughs> And I wasn't doing cyclocross either, so um, that was quite an that was quite an opening for me. Um, I think the, probably the most amusing event I did it was a it was an event quite local to me. It was a thirty mile event, and um, all the riders started, um, me included. And as I was about halfway through the race, the rain started, which you really, really don't want on a time trial bike because you can't really see a lot, and it's it's pretty dangerous. Um, and then coming out of the the mist, I saw what I thought was a steamroller. Um, and yes, there was a steamroller ahead of me on the road. And it was obviously blocking up most of the road. And when you're a time trial, you tend to be going between about 25 and 30 miles an hour most of the time. And, and steamrollers tend to go about 10. So I thought, that's okay. I'll, I'll just nip past it quickly. It'll be okay. And then I nipped past it and there was another one and another one and another one. <laughs> Um, so there was a whole steamroller rally going up the course. <laughs> so myself and other riders somehow managed to get past them. And then we came back the other way. And um, a, a roadworks company had decided to do roadworks on the course. <laughs> so they'd set up roadworks on the course, traffic lights. Um, so by now we'd had rain, steamrollers, traffic lights. Um, Personal best. <laughs> actually it was because it was the first 30 mile an hour time trial I'd ever done um, so for me it was a personal best but for everyone else who I think in the end only four riders finished um, and there were a hell they of a lot more starts they got with the traffic yeah. yeah so I mean normally as a time trial a traffic can be quite a good thing because you can get a bit of a toe from it but um, definitely not having steamrollers on the course um, that, no that, that wasn't good no <laughs> That's the next commentary gig. It is, Steamroller rally. World Brompton Championships and the Steamroller Worlds. That'd be brilliant. Then there's a lot yeah. to comment. Normally, the Brompton Championships, it's more about what people are wearing. Right. So um, okay. you'd have to... I mean, uh, myself and Michael Hutchinson both did it, and we spent... Uh, Michael told me he'd spent eight hours the day before the championship making sure his Brompton was as aero as possible. Did he? So he'd, he'd pinned his, <laughs> he'd pinned his um, suit... Because um, you have to wear a suit and tie. So I'd pin mine, actually, as well. But he'd sort of optimised this Brompton and, and taken bits <laughs> off it and worked out how many watts he'd saved from, you know, taking the bracket <laughs> off where you put the basket on the Brompton. And um, it's fascinating. And um, I think there's a lot of Tour de France riders do it. So it's, it's fiercely competitive. Right. So I'd, I'd really, really Didn't like Alberto to see your take on Contador it. Didn't Contador ride it? Um, Something Herast like rode it. Herast rode it. Yeah. That was it. So... Yeah. Um, and I think Michael Hutchinson beat him, actually. So uh, one of our do- best domestic TTers beat Heras. That's so, good. 
Um, so there's yeah some pretty good commentary to be had. I think just like Swift racing, it's got its own skill. Okay. Brompton has got its own skill as well. Yeah. It's all about the unfold and making sure it's right and getting the saddle height right. You know, we'll get Michael in as the pundit and you as well, and we'll be fine. Yeah, it'd be great. Right, okay, okay this is let's happening. Do it. This is definitely <laughs> happening. We have to do it. Someone yeah, needs yeah. to action this, like, now. <laughs> get, get on the phone. We have agents in the room. We can do this. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> okay, so at this point, just before we uh, take an interlude in a few minutes, uh, we can take a couple of questions from yourselves in the audience, if anyone wants to ask anything from Anthony or Rachel or both. Okay, well, that's a good start. And you managed to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say um, London Brighton is all about participation and fun. So I think don't take it too seriously. Um, I think the first thing to do is to, to go out and just start to ride. Whether you start to ride five miles and then add on... T- another five and then just get to that point of confidence where you think do you know what i can actually do this and good thing on a bike is you must eat and you must drink um so eat lots and drink lots in the first hour to two hours of that ride and you will get through it and you'll have an amazing time so for me the most important thing is just go out just get your confidence practice eating drinking practice getting your feet out of the pedals do all those little things and then just enjoy it because that's what it's all about it's not a race it's about fun yeah i was going to say are you are you using clippy pedals um, i am but i've had a few embarrassing moments we all have we all have <laughs> we you all know? have we've all no. done it <laughs> are, you, are you cycling in london for training yeah, yeah, so, I, I, yeah, we cycle in london. so do you what do you cycle in richmond park and regent's park and I places I mean, if I, if I were you, I think I'd take my bike on a train and just get outside London and just do a lot of riding. Yeah. I mean, you don't need to do any specific training. I think it's all no. about just getting the miles in and, and being confident that you can do the distance. You don't even have to cycle the distance. Just go on a long ride at a really, really easy pace. You know, stop at a pub halfway round. Just enjoy it. Um, and I think, you know, there, there, there are some pretty big hills in London to Brighton. You've got Ditchling Beacon. Um, so I think it would be good if you could maybe, you know, pop out to the Surrey Hills and just do a few hills. Yeah. Just do it right at your own pace. Make sure you've got good gearing for it. Yeah. And just really, really go and enjoy it because it's the first event you've done. Um, it's a great event from a social aspect. Make sure you've got it all planned so you can get back again. Um, you could always cycle back again if you've really got the bug. <laughs> but um, I think it's great you're doing it and um, just really, really enjoy it. I think some good advice there for people who may or may not be in the room. And two takeaways that I took. Stop at a pub. Yeah, always. And practice eating and drinking. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But not I on the ride. I frequently practice that, regardless <laughs> all, of cycling. <laughs> no, no beer on the ride. No. I, I don't, I don't recommend that. Yeah, yeah, afterwards. But the other thing is, one other thing I'd add is comfort. Make sure you have proper fitting shorts mm. 
Uh, that is your one thing you need to have. Yeah, as, um, a, as a female, I think that's very, very key. Yeah. I mean, make, just make... I think that, that long ride I was, I was talking about, just make sure your saddle is comfortable because bikes are sold with a saddle um, and 99 times out of 100, that saddle isn't suitable for you. So just make sure you're comfortable on the bike um, and investigate other options. Yeah. Anyone else got a question that they would like to ask? Oh, Go on. Well, basically, e-cycling is sitting um, very, in a very solitary way in, in your back room in your house with your bike attached to something called a turbo trainer. Um, and that turbo trainer um, um, it connects with your computer and um, you basically cycle around a virtual world with other people from all around the world. So you can log in now. Say if I logged on Zwift now, there'd probably be around 10,000 people riding. So you can race on it. You can just meet up and ride with people. So often I'll be riding on there. You, you signal your friends so you know who your friends are. And it'll tell you on a map where your friends are. So if you want, you can go and bother your friend. And you know, you can, like, just like in real life, you can go and sit behind them and get a draft. And, <laughs> and you, can, you can give them the elbow. You can flick them off. And, um, but it's, 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 real, it's very, very like real-life cycling. I mean... Um, my virtual team, we, we race together as a team quite a lot and we get on gaming channels. There's a, a channel called Discord. So just like you see people doing World of Warcraft, we do it on Zwift and we actually have our own race radio and we strategize about where we're going to do our <laughs> breaks um, and people lead each other out. Um, and it's really, really fun. I mean, I think a lot of people find turbo training really, really boring. I mean, I'm, I, I used to do it a lot before Zwift, so I'm quite used to it, but... Um, if you get in one of these races, you're, you're absolute threshold, um, but an hour will just fly by like that. So you've had an hour of fun, but also you've done a, a hell of a lot of really good training. Um, so it's a, it's a win-win. I mean, I'm not training like I used to. I used to train 18 to 20 hours a week. Um, now I'm training more like eight to nine, probably six to eight, actually. Um, and... I'm finding that my actual performance, like post-stroke, and I've, I have still got some weakness from that, it's actually only slightly lower than it was before my stroke. And I, I, that is all down to Zwift, I think. So, One of the more active forms of, uh, in the e-sport genre as well, Zwift, yeah. I would say, compared yeah. to uh, some of the others out there. Um, I mean, they vary. Do you have a power meter on your bike by any chance? Because you could do it without it. Um, but they, they start at around, for one that connects to Zwift, they start at around £250. Um, if, if you're a good eBayer, you can often get them cheaper or you've got a friend who can lend you one. I mean, I started on a very basic one and quickly realised I, really, I wanted a really, really good one. Um, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, and you get a lot more out of it. And it's, um, there's a monthly cost to Zwift as well, but it's, I think it's twelve ninety nine a month. But there, is, there are free trials available. Um, and for me, it's, you know, it pays for it multiple times over in the benefits I get from it. Hmm. <laughs> Great. So uh, we're just going to take probably about a five-minute interlude kind of comfort break there if anyone wants to uh, use the facilities, grab a drink or anything like that. And uh, then we will have another session very shortly with the director of Wheels for Wellbeing, Ms. Isabel Clement. Uh, so do join us back here very shortly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm going to pass over to Isabel Clement, Director of Wheels for Wellbeing, who will carry on our second conversation. Thanks very much, Chris. So... We move on to our second half of our conversation. We hope you're all having a lovely evening. And uh, we're going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask questions and, and I'm going to try to answer them as well while, I, while, while we go at it. But uh, first question I'd like to ask, uh, maybe start with Rachel, to, say, to ask you, what were your first memories of cycling? Well, um, I grew up in a new forest and I think um, I obviously had the luxury living in a new forest of um, being able to ride on the greens as it was then um, I think it's been cracked down upon a bit now but um, it's probably started my competitive spirit I, I've got a twin brother um, and one of my earliest memories is of us both colliding head-on when we were trying to race each other um, and um, I think I've got these very early memories of just racing with my brother and I think that probably put me in the right frame of mind for racing in later life. But I've got some great photos of me in my little start-right red patent red shoes um, <laughs> riding a bike with stabilisers. And I've always loved cycling. Um, and I've always, my, my family have always cycled. And, and for me, it's, it's always been a form of transport. It's been a natural form to take when I was... At college, I, I went to college around here when I was in London, and I, I had a bike here as well. So it's always been a part of my life. Even when I was terribly over obese, I've always cycled. It was obviously a bit harder then. I had a, a few more kilos to carry around. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it's great that, I mean, cycling so accessible to everyone, and I've certainly seen that throughout my whole life. But, um, yeah, I think my earliest memory was probably those red start-right shoes and me looking very gormless. <laughs> with a toothless grin on a, on a little bicycle. So. Fantastic. How about you, Anthony? Um, well, I mean, the first time you ever get a bike is an incredible time, isn't it? Because that is the freedom. It's the freedom of riding a bike in the first place. Uh, but I also remember building ramps and jumps with my brother, just trying to see whether you could take air. I had a yellow rally chopper. 
had to have a rally chopper back then, so uh, that was good. Um, but my first memory of watching a bike race was 1982, the World Road Race Championships, which were in Britain, in Goodwood. And me and my dad were sat on the sofa watching World of Sport, and I was enthralled by it, and I just wanted to do it. So after that, if we found a local club and started doing some time trials, rode a road race, and then I was hooked. That was it, really. Fantastic. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to share my first memories of, sure. of cycling, too, if that's all right. Yeah, do. Um, we, I, I've, I've been disabled since the age of 10 months old, so don't, don't remember anything else. And, uh, but I used to, to walk r- relatively badly, but it, who cared? Um, my, therefore, my parents, when I was 10 got me a bike. They thought, you know, why not? Let's try her on the bike. So I remember that bike. Uh, in my mind's eye, in my memory, it's, 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 it may not be correct, but for me it was a, a lovely, shiny, white bike. Um, we tried it. didn't work. My feet wouldn't stay on the pedals. I didn't manage to balance. And that was that. My first memory of cycling was not cycling, was trying it, and no big deal, but it didn't work. Uh, and really, that's where I was. That's where my parents were left. Uh, uh, you know, they, that's what they thought they discovered. Their child couldn't cycle, and we moved on. We didn't. It didn't matter. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, but I was left with that knowledge, allegedly in inverted commas, that I couldn't cycle. Like a lot of disabled people, I can't cycle. That's fine. Uh, and then I fast forward uh, a number of years, and I had my my kid. And when he was four. We got him a, his first bike, and that was, you know, as you do. Uh, and, and he learned to, to ride straight away. And I was then faced with thinking, I'm now in a position where I might lose my kid because I, he's going to go, and I'm in the park with him. Until then, I had been able to just, you know, follow him around. Uh, you know, wheelchairs are pretty good for keeping up with a toddler, but a child on the, on two wheels is another matter. And wheelchairs are really not great at uh, keeping up, crossing a park at speed, going up and down hills, etc. Whereas a four-year-old on two wheels is unstoppable. Uh, so I started looking for a solution for keeping up with my kid in the park. So being the person I was at the time with the knowledge I had, I started looking at mobility scooters because that's what I thought the solution was. Um, luckily, it took me a really long time, lots of research, uh, lots of um, heartache because actually I was early 30s and I didn't really fancy myself as a, as a mobility scooter user, but it, you do what you do for, for your kid. Um, but it's during that research that I came across something that I'd never even imagined existed, which is something called a clip-on hand cycle, which you clip to the front of your wheelchair. And that's what I tried. And I, I then, for the first time, I, I was 36, I think, I experienced cycling. That is my first memory of cycling, wow. uh, which is about suddenly being able to, well, experience what you've all experienced, way younger but I had exactly that same feeling that sudden rush of being able to move forward by my own power I mean I drove a car it didn't mean I wasn't mobile but that physical physicality of of moving forward and then for the first time ever going on walks and leaving my friends behind now that I had (laughs) never experienced that before (laughs) suddenly I was faster than they were and it was the start of what I've become now a cycling ball, but I, it was a real discovery of something that 
as every most other people experience in childhood and I've never left that's never left me because that's what I want everybody to well we all want to experience that um, and that's where working for Wheels for Wellbeing has become a, a, a real revelation because it's it's a means of getting sharing that feeling with loads of people who've never been necessarily able to who might have felt it when they before becoming disabled but then thought they could no longer cycle and had really sort of grieved for cycling and are rediscovering it and or somebody people like myself who'd never cycled before so that's a the sort of you know i to feel part of the cycling community now is fantastic it's a it's a wonderful feeling i mean i've uh, actually had uh, to add to that i've i had a sort of a bit of a revelation like that myself because obviously i had my stroke a year ago and i didn't think i'd ever be able to cycle again um and in reality, I actually think I only had three days off. Um, <laughs> but that's due to the fact that my online racing team, which I discussed earlier, they grouped together, which shows the power of the cycling community. Uh, and they got me one of those desk peddlers that people get in their offices and put under their desks and pedal all day just to burn <laughs> calories. But another friend on the team had donated some power pedals. So they put these power pedals on this um, machine. Um, and Zwift themselves donated me an iPad so I could actually sit on my hospital bed Fantastic. and cycle again. And it Fantastic. was absolutely amazing. I, I, I remember crying the first time I did it because I really didn't yeah. know if I'd ever be able to get on a bike again. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and actually, when the physiotherapist in the hospital saw it, they thought, well, we need these in our hospital gyms for people to use because they could see the happiness it was giving me because it's not just about fitness. Yeah. It's about that happiness that you can get as well. So, Yeah, yeah it's... This is, this is the thing, like, you've experienced getting on a bike later. You remember it from being really young. And once you have that bug, you just, it just doesn't really ever leave you, does it? So I think the whole thing about whether you are, um, whether you're disabled, whether you are young, you're old, it doesn't really matter. You get that bug and you want to be part of it. And, he, and even if something happens to you, you want to get back on a bike um, whether it's Rachel or... I remember interviewing Martin Ashton about two years ago. Those of you who know the story of Martin Ashton, he's one of the best trick riders in the world and he broke his back and he's paralysed. Mm-hmm. And he said to me at the London Bike Show, uh, we used to end the interview with, what are you going to do next? And he said, oh, I'm going to ride my bike. And I was like, really? Uh, I don't know if that's possible. And he was like, don't worry, in a year's time I'll ride my bike. And he did the downhill course at Fort William strapped to his bike on a he's completely changed and now he's inspiring even more people to be part of it so you just get you just this sport or the freedom of riding a bike whether it's to work or doing sport or watching it or whatever you just get the bug and that's it and it's good for the mind and you sort problems out when you're out on your bike you know for work people if you're trying to solve a problem you go out and you ride for an hour and you come home and you have the answer and I've firmly found that for years and years and years. It's just, it's an enthralling sport from colour and movement, but it's also a freedom thing where you can just be yourself and be out. Absolutely. Um, I, I was going to ask next, uh, uh, it, very nicely uh, moving on to how, how does cycling make you feel? What, what do you enjoy the most when you're cycling? What is it? <laughs> well, what? it hurts a lot, but <laughs> generally now. Uh, no, for me, it's, um, 
it's no longer about racing because I, you know, there's no way when you're going around the world traveling to bike races that you can even keep fit enough to ride a bike that much. But for me, the important thing is the ability to just um, go out and feel that rush of being in the air again. Um, but also being on Zwift. I, I recently started using Zwift and I'd love it because it's keeping fit. It's just that feeling of turning the pedals and, and having a great time. But for me now, it's a feeling of community. So if I go out and ride my bike, generally I'll either ride on my own to solve a problem or just have fun or go out with a bunch of people. And I've met incredible people riding bikes, um, whether it be out going to a cafe and just sitting and chatting, or whether it's alongside, I'm really lucky, I get to ride with some of the world's top bike riders, and you can't go to a football stadium and kick a football with David Beckham. You just can't do that. But a few weeks ago, I went riding with Ashley Moorman Passio, who's been number one in the world on a bike, and just went to a restaurant and had a ride with her and had lunch. And you can't do that anywhere else. so it just gives you that, f- that feeling of just you're out and you're on your bike and you're seeing the countryside and the smells that you have and the feeling you have is just, it's just wonderful. I think it's really good for everybody. Fabulous. How about you, Rachel? No, I, I mean, I, I totally echo that as well. And I think people knew me best for my sort of racing exploits and that was certainly a very big part of my life. But... The rides I really loved were actually my commutes, just getting to and from the office. I used to do very, very long loops into work every day. I'd do about 35 miles when my commute was actually eight miles. And it was, um, it, it gave me, people, yeah, people would think I was a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> but for me, I, I absolutely loved that time. I'd be out early in the morning and you'd be in the countryside, you could... It was improving my fitness, but it was also freshening me up for the day. I'd arrive in the office completely mentally refreshed. Um, And for me, I mean, I I just love that feeling of the wind in my hair. Um, And I think now I've had the stroke, I think I appreciate it even more. So when I'm on the back of a tandem, you get a bit less wind in your hair because you're behind... um, you're behind the pilot. Um, in fact, you actually can't feel the wind at all. Um, but uh, you can certainly um, breathe in the fresh air. Um, and you can actually have a, quite a co- good conversation because you're actually physically very close to that person. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I really love that. And I think the mental release and the more we can get that out to people, you know, cycling's not necessarily about fitness. I mean, I love being part of this community. You know, you see someone cycling and you immediately feel this sort of empathy with them, whatever kind of bike they're riding. Um, I mean, I must admit, when I used to ride my Brompton around town, you know, roadies normally wave at each other. When when I did ride my Brompton, people didn't wave at me quite so much. (laughs) I think that, yeah, because it is, you do look a bit like you're riding a sort of half a baby stroller. Um, But um, it's that sort of mental well-being. And I think now I, I have had my stroke um, you know, I'm getting back into the racing and I can really enjoy the racing now as well. So it's, it's, it's just amazing. I, I can't imagine life without cycling. Um, I can't imagine life without the cycling community, which I know very well. Um, my cyclists are my best friends. Um, it's, yeah, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Fabulous. I, I guess for me, uh, it's two things uh, which I enjoy the most. One is, well, I mean, I, I couldn't be more different to the two of you. I don't race and I'm not sporty, but I totally relate to exactly what you're saying in terms of 
the feeling of the, the wind in your hair. And for, uh, as you said, feeling the smells in the countryside. Well, I've actually rediscovered Brixton. Brixton smells nice, mate. You, you, I, I am telling you. <laughs> now, that always can be... <laughs> as a car driver before, I, I only ever experienced Brixton as smelling of, of exhaust fumes, particularly. Um, and uh, when I'm cycling from my home to uh, the office in Brixton, and I, I tend to take the back route simply because they are a lot less polluted, and... I, I have discovered the smell of lime trees. The back streets of Brixton are, are lined with lime trees, and they smell amazing. And that is a complete revelation. Uh, I did not know my own neighbourhood smelt lovely. Uh, and also, this thing about community, I've driven around since the age of 18. I've never been immobile, but I have never felt the feeling of feeling part of where I live as much as since I've been cycling because suddenly people see me I see them we can wave or not wave and we can and we recognize each other nobody recognizes each other behind the wheel um, but the, finally the, the what really gives me an amazing kick when I'm cycling is also uh, the realization of how other people see me and look at me because as a disabled person, you're used to people looking at you. I mean, much more politely in Britain than where, I, where I'm from in my native France. But all the same. And if I'm wheeling along the, the road, if people look at me, they look at me a bit sad. Or, you know, or they just look away. Or they, they're not engaging. And it's, not a, it's okay, but it's not a positive relationship. When I'm cycling along, people point and they go, wow. <laughs> they're really like, they, they look happy. They look engaged. They are interested in what I'm doing they are envious kids go oh sick man (laughs) 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 it's fantastic and it's really changing the eye of other people over on onto myself and it makes me feel good it makes me feel so much more like a human being than the way other people look at me in other circumstances so that's another power of cycling is to change that whole relationship of of the world to a disabled person if they have become a cyclist suddenly people are looking at them as as an individual and 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 as part of their community so yeah that i have Mm. to say is amazingly powerful for me um yeah i was going to uh, move on to another question really which is a bit broader around what what are your feelings both of you about how cycling is um uh dealing with diversity are we? Uh, is cycling uh, uh, diverse enough? Is it responsive, responsive to uh, uh, gender and, and age and, and disability? How, 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 what's your perception? I mean, not necessarily just the sports, but pretend, the sports obviously, but also cycling in general. Um, I, I think at the elite level, it, it's doing as much or more than other sports. Um, I commentated at the Rio Paralympics, and for me that was an absolute revelation. I, and I was actually really worried about doing that. I don't know why, but I just worked myself into this feeling of um, I had to understand what C1, C2, C3, C4 was, oh what this was, what that disability was, and everything. And I spent ages on it. And I built myself up into this thing of, like, I have to get this right. You know, I can't get this wrong in any shape or form. And, um, and I spent weeks going through this, and I spent weeks reading up about the riders and trying to get everything in my head. 
in the same way that I do prep for an Olympic Games or a World Championships or anything. And do you know what was really interesting? When I, about 10 minutes into the first Paralympic events in Rio, I just completely forgot about all the categories. And I just looked at them as athletes. And I just thought, do you know what, actually, these women and guys are riding bikes in whatever way they're doing it. And the performances that they're putting in are absolutely incredible. And I just totally didn't talk about categories. I didn't talk about disabilities. I did nothing of that. Um, and that was a real revelation. So um, are, is cycling doing enough? I don't think it can ever do enough. I think it does a lot already. I think there's some real amazing role models um, that people can look at and think what they've achieved is incredible. So Dame Sarah's story is amazing at what she's done and how she's managed to tell the story of her and, and how she's been a, um, alongside riders, at, even in the GB track team, with her disability. Uh, but more can be done. Um, from a diversity point of view, I know it's not as diverse as it should be and a lot more needs to be done. Uh, but it's probably more progressive than other sports. Yeah, actually, I've got a good story about Dame um, Sarah's story. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, she inspired me, actually, in, in my very early years. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back to the question in a minute, but um, it was the British Time Trial Championships, and she was on just after me, and it was a torrential rainfall. I mean, it's the type of rain, you know, you wouldn't, you'd stop in your car, it's that heavy, and I was at the start line, I hadn't been time trialing very long, and, and and Sarah came up behind me. I said, oh, I, and I said to her, oh, I hate this weather. I, I don't, I'm going to do really bad. And she, and she just stood there and said, I thrive in this kind of weather. I really, really love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I, you know, I'm really, I'm going to do really well today. And and seeing that confidence from such from 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 a disabled athlete, I, I, it really, really inspired me at that point. Um, and I think certainly for people like her, um, there's it, it's fascinating to have these role models. And I think. Um, as Ant just said, I think cycling is probably ahead of a lot of sports, but there's still a lot we can do. Um, I mean, I ride a tandem, um, and for me, riding around town, for example, on that tandem is very, very difficult. The cycling infrastructure in my town is absolutely abysmal, um, and it's pretty scary to get in and out of town. You know, I, I don't relax on the bike until I've got out of town, and um, I know that's me on a tandem, but that's also, you know, the, the woman we were talking about earlier who wouldn't have ever ridden before. So um, I think there's a lot of barriers and there's still a lot we have to do. Um, I think London's great. I think there's a lot of really, really good things going on in London. I mean, I know from when I used to cycle, we didn't have the super highways. It was very, very dangerous. And there's so, many, so much good things going on that I think could be repeated throughout the country. And um, but equally, I, I mean, I've got some pretty bad experiences with the Paralympics. Um, I, um, when I had my stroke last year, I had British Cycling get on the phone to me pretty soon after I had it, you know, ever taking the advantage. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, so I think it was about a month after I had my stroke. They said, would you, would you be interested in, you know, maybe going to the Paralympics? And I said, well, you know, that's, that's great. Right, <laughs> a bit forward. Um, at that point, I was thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I will take a step back from cycling competitively. But they, and then even when they said that, I still wasn't convinced. But they eventually convinced me to go to a visual impairment assessment day. Um, and they said, yeah, you just got to do this, and you can get your classification, then you can, you know, get on the scheme. 
Um, so I went to the assessment day. I had to travel all the way to the back of beyond in North Wales, which in itself wasn't particularly good for someone who couldn't see. Um, it was along the north coast of Wales. I had to get a train to Wrexham, which involved about four changes, and then get a friend to drive me somewhere. And it was very, very difficult to get to. Um, and I went to this classification, um, and they did very standard tests. So they did a visual field test where you um, have to look at a point in the middle of a funnel and then do a peripheral vision test. I couldn't look at the point because my eyes don't move upwards. So I couldn't complete the test, but I could complete parts of it. Um, and I also had to do a visual acuity test. Um, I can't see anything out of my left eye. Um, I can't, but my downward vision to here is, is not too bad. But riding a bike, I can't do it at all. I just cannot ride a bike. So it would be suicide. I wouldn't get more than two feet from my door. Um, so I had the assessment, and they came back to me and said, we're really sorry, Rachel, we can't classify you. And that's oh. because the tests were designed for people with very standard eye dysfunctions. Um, I've got something called paranoid syndrome. It's dorsal midbrain syndrome. Basically, I had a, a brain hemorrhage. It caused my stroke, and it affected the cranial nerves that control eye movement. So um, my right retina is not too bad, but my actual muscles that control my eyes, mm. they jump around in all kinds of ways. I can't move my eyes properly left to right. I can't move my eyes up. Um, and I found it really disheartening that the Paralympics, which was set up for people who can't ride a normal bike and can only ride a tandem, yet I still can't do it. Um, I have to say British Cycling have been really, really supportive. They've had their, there's now talks with the International Paralympic Committee to try and get the rules changed, um, and they're quite reasonably positive about it. But for me, that really set me back mentally quite a lot when that happened to me. So, I can imagine. Um, and that was just my experience. And I'm sure there's other people in, in other sports and, in, and other cyclists have had very similar experiences to me. So I think there's still a long way to go. Um, mm. And not just from a disability perspective, but also from a women's perspective. I'm sure everyone saw that article at the weekend where the women's race caught up with the men's race. Good though, and wasn't it? And it was brilliant. <laughs> but what the reporting of it said... Um, I think there was an article I saw on the CNN website and it, it talked about the girl who'd caught up and she got all this press where Chantal Black, amazing cyclist who actually won the event ultimately, yeah. she wasn't even mentioned in the article. And I thought that really showed how, you know, women's cycling is still, it's still a story when something like that happens, but there's still a long way to go before we get equal sort of press reporting. And you're very good at it. I mean, I love Vox Women, for example. I think that's a really good... Um, platform for women's cycling news. I, it's my first port of call that I go to if you know you want women's cycling information, and I recommend everyone goes to it. Actually, there's two ladies there who are doing mm. London to Brighton. It's a really, really good resource. There's some fantastic female bloggers on there, cyclists who give really, really fascinating insights into the world. And I think there's a long way to go. I think we're getting there. And charities like yourself, and there's there's um, Wheels for Wellbeing, and uh, there's a number of local charities that I've got involved in that are doing similar, really, really good things. And the more the more people that do it, and the more people come aware of it, I think we'll see a, a really strong step change. I, th I think we're getting there. We're not there yet, but I think we we really are getting there. Hmm. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, interesting. Again, our our experience at Wheels Wellbeing is is not in the in the sports or the competitive ele element of it, but we are uh, very much aware of the. Uh, basically, we we take a 
uh, our perspective on on the world in general, not just cycling, is is a, is along the social model of disability. We we actually never look at uh, anybody's specific impairments. Uh, the the whole categories uh, categorizing of, of of the Paralympics etc. is very alien to to us because it's very ba- based on your medical condition and your you know measurements etc. We we look at how the world relates to us and and what needs to be changed in the world to make sure that it is accessible to all. Um, And in terms of imagery, that's around the imagery of of cycling, how cycling is um, represented. Uh, That's one of our many campaigns, is is to to bring to the attention of people that we need to stop representing only, for example, only bicycle, using the word bicycle or on two wheels as a byword for cycling, is, is resulting in uh, so many people saying, well, of course I can't cycle, because they're imagining cycling is only done on two wheels, uh, on a bicycle, on your own, on the roads. Uh, so we're, we're very much pushing for and, and lobbying uh, anybody who puts out imagery around cycling to include uh, non-standard cycles. We, we, we are very uh, uh, keen not to talk about this, the normal bike. It's, it's a standard bike, maybe, but actually there are other uh, cycles of all kinds. And actually we use the word cycle as opposed, uh, as opposed to bike. Um, because it can be a tandem, it can be. You've, you saw them on the on the video. Uh, it could be recumbents. It could be tandem side by side. It can be tricycles. It can be hand cycles, and all of those things are cycling. And therefore, we're also pushing uh, people who are in charge of the infrastructure. As you were saying, Rachel, you know, going around town on a tandem is really tricky. Uh, going around town on a on a on a hand cycle or on a tricycle is also very tricky because the infrastructure has been built for the bicycle and for the able-bodied cyclist uh, who can hop off and dismount and, and go up a curb if needs be, etc. So we are pushing the, uh, the, the, the people putting out the infrastructure out there to think about making it inclusive from the, from the start and, and moving away from just thinking about building for the bicycle, building for the able-bodied rider. Once we've built for everyone, we have... A, absolutely built for everyone. We, we've built for the parents with the cargo cycle or the, the people delivering uh, sandwiches with a trailer behind them, etc. So it, it, it's really trying to broaden everybody's understanding of cycling. Um, so I hope with, with our campaigns and other people's campaigns that we will actually start to become uh, a, an even more uh, diverse and uh, a, a community of cyclists uh, because at the moment there are plenty of people still who say, oh, well, cycling is not for me um, because I, can, I don't see people like me cycling out there or cycling in the, uh, represented in the magazines, etc. All right, well, I think we're going to go for a final uh, quick one, um, uh, quick little question, which is really to you guys. What what were your first thoughts? What what did you think when you were uh, when you came across Wheels for Wellbeing? When you saw our work, what 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 were your first impression, and 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 what are you thinking? Um, I mean, to be honest, um, when I saw it, I was actually quite shocked. I, I mean, I personally, I'd not really considered all the types of bicycle, I, I shouldn't use the word bicycle, a means of um, propelled transport, self-propelled transport that you were using. Um, <laughs> and um, I, th- I think it's 
absolutely brilliant. And I, 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 I mean, there's a lot of disabled people I know who completely rely on, you know, um, taxis to get about. And the, if we could get people out of those taxis onto bikes in the local area, I mean, when, I, when this first happened to me, um, you know, I was given a number of a, a, a local um, taxi service that worked for the council and I could get help with transport. But never once was I told, you know, why don't you consider this or this? Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of work to do. Um, um, but I think, as I say, I think it's a really, really good charity. And I think um, some of the people you haven't talked about as well. I mean, my, my own father at the moment is very seriously ill with dementia. Um, and you told me, you explained to me earlier how you get specific sessions out for dementia patients. Um, and I know my own dad, one of the, the last things he did before he, he, he's now in a home, he'd go out on his bike and he could still cycle his bike um, right up until he went into a home now. And I know if you had your specially adapted bikes and you could go down into the New Forest, he'd be on it like a shot and I know he'd love it. He might not be able to communicate it, but I know he'd love it. So you're not just helping people to get about you're not just helping um disabled people to improve their life in a sort of physical way and um, mobility way you're also really cheering them up and making them happy as we're discussing earlier there's a feeling of wind in their hair and it's 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 the mental thing as well as the physical thing and i think it's so important and maybe you don't even realize it yourselves because you're involved in a charity but i think um anyone who would experience it would it's it's incredible what you're doing so I, I really applaud you and it's fantastic to be here and, and just support you thank you. thank you yeah i mean i would uh i would reiterate what rachel says and that is if when when you're watching the videos when you see the images of people it's it's about putting a smile on someone's face and the feeling that they can under their own steam propel themselves whether it be on a tricycle whether it be on a hand cycle whether it be on another form of um, of cycle it doesn't really matter it's just that feeling that they can go out and do something for themselves and uh, for me that puts a smile on my face and it puts a smile on their face and that's important because they're getting that feeling of freedom that we get from riding a standard cycle or whatever it is so well done for what you're doing and um Let's hope you can continue to to develop this so that you can influence infrastructure. You can influence uh, how that that feeling of well, they'll just get a taxi. I mean, that's just got to be the worst thing you can possibly say to someone who's found themselves in that situation, whether it be from birth or at forty years of age. It doesn't matter. Let's get them to that point where they can go. There's another way you can get yourselves around. Yeah, rather than be given a free bus pass, yeah. get them a bike. Yeah, exactly. It would save the council money for a start. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, we one of the many hashtags we use on on Twitter is uh, is hashtag in, the inactivity trap, and it and it and it is disabled people are often stuck in an inactivity tra- trap because we think there people think there are no options other than being in the car, driving or being driven, and actually. Statistics are showing that people, disabled people are increasingly losing their independence in terms of, of traveling independently uh, and increasingly becoming dependent on others, which is totally the wrong direction. Um, but that's what 
measures in general in, at the moment uh, are, are doing to the lives of disabled people, and that has consequences. Maybe I'll, I'll just wrap up having really thanked you hugely, both of you, for which we'll do again at the very end, but I really do mean it. Thank you hugely for, for being here, giving up your time to, to support us, and it's very much appreciated. No, thank you for yeah. inviting us. Thank well, you for coming yeah, and listening. Thank you. thank you for being here. I'll, I'm just going to get Emma, um, not Emma, Alex, uh, Elliot, to, to uh, I've got a couple, a few slides very quickly to show, to, to summarise the work that we do and how we also want to thank you guys for being here tonight and for showing your support and showing your interest in, in the work that, that we do. Um, so, uh, when Alex is ready, we'll move on. That's it. This is the, the, a slide number one, really quick summary of, of who, who we are. We are a, a small charity which was established in 2007, uh, and we are based in, in South London. Our, our actual work with our actual cycles is all done in South London. There are other people who, do, who also own cycles and make bikes available to disabled people in other parts of London, but we are South London-based. Uh, we run inclusive cycling sessions uh, with our 200-plus cycles at three different bases, Hernhill Velodrome, Croydon Arena, and the Ladywell Day Centre Sports Hall, which is what's on this picture here, with our wonderful uh, volunteer, Jane, who is in the room. Jane? Yes, lovely. <laughs> Sporting our uh, cycling instructor vests and a Hernhill Velodrome cap. Um, we work... Uh, physically with about 1,300 individuals across uh, a typical year. That's disabled people who come and use our cycles at one point or another in the year. Uh, and uh, age-wise, total age range from the tiniest little tots. I mean, I've said here on this slide from 2 to 99. I know we've had a 99-year-old, but I think we've had younger than two. So it, it, we really work with absolutely everyone, in it, from tiny to very elderly. Uh, and we are led by disabled people. So uh, the, the pe disabled people are on our board, uh, disabled people work in the team, disabled people volunteer for us. We are an organisation uh, run and led by disabled people. And we have become the national campaigning voice of disabled cyclists. Out of Brixton comes a tiny organisation which has found itself a, another role, not just getting people onto cycles physically, but as I was explaining earlier, trying to change the perspective on cycling nationally because no one else seems to be doing it. Um, and uh, we are there linking through social media, etc., with disabled people out there who are disabled cyclists and who are in, in, um, encountering a lot of different barriers and who want this campaigning voice. And we, we seem to be sort of coalescing this, this uh, movement of, of disabled cyclists changing the, the world of cycling. Alex, if you can move on to the next slide, that would be amazing. So just summarising with a very cheery picture here uh, of why we do what we do. <laughs> <laughs> So disabled people are one in five of us. One in five of us uh, are disabled people in the, po in the population out there. It's not a small proportion of the population. And, and hopefully, if all of us uh, grow old, <laughs> old, as we age, we will all potentially experience disability and impairment. So this is not about a tiny minority. But, the lived, the, as it says on here, the lived experience of disabled people includes much higher likelihood to experience isolation and depression, 
debt issues, physical and mental ill health, difficulties with accessing physical activity and staying fit, transport, we find that there's inadequate accessible transport, particularly door-to-door, excuse me, and there's a lack of choice and control and spontaneity of movement. So all of that results in disabled people having shortened life. We have a shorter life expectancy. We are much more likely to die younger because of all of these different factors. And that's the reality. So that's why we're a bit passionate about what we do and about getting disabled people moving in however, however they, they need to through cycling. Alex, if we can have the next slide, please. So... And that slide is especially for Alex, actually. The little Pokemon is there for you, Alex, because (laughs) Alex saw this on the slide earlier last year and she really liked it. We are pretty damn outraged about the fact that people are stuck in an inactivity trap because it doesn't have to be that way. We do not have to stay inactive, be inactive, and be forced to die younger. So, because... People can ride tandems, tricycles, die, uh, uh, ride on uh, with no legs. That little girl over there her, on the little pink trike has two prosthetic legs. Uh, uh, one of our other trustees in the centre there cycles. He's Brompton and lots of other types of cycles with one leg. It can be done. Uh, Rick over there uh, is on the hand cycle. We do not have to be inactive. But if we don't get organized and we don't change the way people perceive cycling we are stopping a lot of people from taking the opportunity to to be mobile that's a little bit of outrage next slide please so really to finish uh, we are just to summarize we are wanting to continue to do this work that we've described to you today for as much as we possibly can because we have we are only scratching the surface of of the work we could be doing so I just thought I would give you a tiny summary of what it costs to, for us to, to stay afloat and to do what we do. Uh, we did say this was a fundraiser. You've been really uh, uh, generous and, and given on the door and, and bought raffle tickets. So it's a huge thank you to you. And also an invitation for you to, if you were able to at any other point, to continue to support us if you possibly can. We, it costs us £125,000 to keep our sessions going down in South London. Uh, we raise part of that in charging our participants a small fee on the, on the door. We, we get about 35k of our, fee, of our spending covered by our own participants. Uh, but we have to raise the, the remaining 95k of that. So that's why we've got Julian who organised today's event. Yes! Thank you, Julian. Uh, he's our fundraiser. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, we also, the campaigning work that I was talking about, which is now becoming a national campaigning uh, uh, campaign, it costs about 50k a year to keep that going. And we have been very uh, lucky to have a grant from Comic Relief to uh, create uh, our, a po- our first ever post three years ago of a campaigning officer. That's coming to an end, so we're in the process of, re- of raising another 50k, if we can, in order to not stop talking about what we have to talk about because there's still so much uh, to, cover, to, to change. Uh, I've put on the slide a few things about you know, what ten, £10, for example, covers the expensive of, of expenses of our volunteers, for example, you know, recruiting, supporting volunteers, 
isn't free. We ha- we have to have an infrastructure there to uh, to do that. Uh, £20 pays for one disabled person to come cycling for the first time, for example. We charge them £5, but we have to fundraise the extra £15. Uh, £60 pays for footplates. Imagine to have a set, a pair of foot plates, which are super important for people who find it difficult to get their feet uh, to stay on the, on the pedal. We have self-writing uh, foot plates with, with Velcro, etc. £60 a pair, and we have to equip a lot of our fleet with that. Um, and otherwise, something like £500 could pay for a discovery day where we take our cycles out to a group who can't get to our session. So that's a little whistle-stop tour of what we do with the money we fundraise and, and how much of it. We, we're not talking millions, but a tiny charity like ourselves does need uh, funding. We go out for grants. Uh, if you know, if you're involved in any grant funding bodies, if you're working for any companies who have a charitable um, uh, committee and who makes donation, we would love you to talk to us about that uh, if you've been inspired by our work. Um, and you've been given a lovely little um, card at the beginning when you came in, I think, or if you didn't, you can ask for one. If you're, if you're interested in staying in touch with us, please give us your email address, please give us your um, or a phone number, whatever, however you want to be contacted. We can send you newsletters to keep you informed of our work. We can absolutely promise we will not sell that information to anyone else and we will not bombard you with information but we can keep you in touch with what you do with what we do i'm just going to hand over to chris uh, so just to reiterate uh, not to bang the drum too loudly or anything like that but this is what you hopefully all received uh, upon entry and as uh, isabel didn't give the magic initials but we do live in a world of gdpr now so we're very we take that very seriously at Wheels for Wellbeing as well. So if you do get the chance and you do feel empowered by the passion that Isabel shows for Wheels for Wellbeing and, and that's what cycling means to her, and we heard from Anthony and Rachel about the power of cycling to them and how it's much more than the physical benefits, it's the emotional benefits, it's the challenge of perceptions. If you um, think that you can in some way now or in the future support in multiple different ways or any of the ways that are on this card do please feel free to fill it out and hand it to someone before you leave and uh, then I just get the nice job of saying thank you first of all to everyone here thank you very much for uh, coming this evening and already supporting in that way through your attendance and thank you to uh, Alex and the team at Look Mum No Hands Excellent food and beverage offering. We've been practising eating and drinking. (laughs) Always important. (laughs) And thank you very much to our guests, our very special guest. Jess has left us, but I'm sure you will all be going away and looking at any YouTube footage of Jess Tom and Tourette's Hero. Uh, And thank you very much to Anthony and Rachel for giving up their time, supporting the charity, and uh, being amazing guests and having great conversation and making our job as sort of facilitators uh, very very easy so thank you very much and a round of applause for these guys thank you and just to keep the guys that look mum no hands on side thank you very much mum does 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.